Hello and welcome to Contact High. Today's Shabbat replay is from our Friday night service on January 27th. Following a welcoming message from Rabbi Lizzie, decompressing from this painful week of mass shootings, Rabbi Dina delivered a drosh on this week's Parsha from Exodus, comparing its plagues of death to our own. Take it away, Rabbi. This has been a kind of relentless week, and and I say that having no idea what's gone on in your life this week, <laughs> um, but just sort of following the collective relentlessness of the news, even up until just an hour before arriving here tonight, and just feeling how hard it is to, to find any peace at all <laughs> in this world. Um, and that Shabbat should be a space, should be a space to find respite, you know, to be a kind of calm in the eye of the storm and in the midst of the relentlessness of the onslaught of everything happening out in the world. Um, and it isn't always. Um, and so I just want to recognize, even if you, if you haven't been following the news minute to minute, um, in a synagogue in Jerusalem, in a settlement inside of Jerusalem, um, seven Jews were killed tonight um, and 10 people wounded at a Shabbat service. Um, and that's inside of the context of such a, a bigger, longer, harder story. And so I just, I want to hold as we go into Shabbat tonight, like all of that. And that's just a pinpoint in, the, in, in one place in the world as we enter Shabbat tonight, carrying all of the things that we are carrying. And I want to invite us while we are here, if we can, if we're holding bags, <laughs> to just place them down at our sides. <laughs> and as you're doing that, to in, your, in this room, release your shoulders <laughs> and exhale. <sighs> and hopefully find in this room, with this community tonight, a little bit of peace, a little sukkah shalom. You know, the metaphor of the sukkah, we just, we just said it here. Higalena, reveal, and ufros chaviva lie spread over us. Sukkah shlomecha, the shelter of your peace. And a sukkah is this fragile little hut <laughs> that really doesn't offer any security except that you're with people underneath it and you're connecting with God. And that actually is the most powerful kind of security we can find in a moment. So here we are in this moment. And I just want to welcome you to this moment. <laughs> um, and hopefully over the Psalms of Kabbalah Shabbat and the singing and the harmony and the breathing and the Torah and the community 
we can find a little bit of that sukkah, a little bit of that sukkah of peace, a little bit of that shalom, and take that with us out into the world and share that with everybody who needs it. So I want to invite you, if you're, if you're comfortable, to even close your eyes and place a hand on your heart <laughs> and just begin this evening by thanking God that you're here next to whomever you're next to. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. In this space, maybe this is a new space. Maybe this is a space that, this is the only space you want it to be after this week. Maybe both. And just feel your heart beating in your chest. And all the delightful sounds of the room. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I have to tell you this story, and then we're going to start services. One year, and you can, I'm going to just keep my eyes closed, because I'm, en I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying just this posture right now. You can, it was Yom Kippur, and somebody was giving a sermon, and there was a baby crying up in the second floor of the Vic, and the parents really wanted to stay in the room, because they wanted to hear whatever the person speaking was saying, but the baby was crying, and it became, it became audible. Eventually, eventually they took the baby out and a woman came up after me, after the service and said to me, did you hear that baby crying? And I said, I said, yeah, I did. And I was waiting for her. I was waiting for her to say something unpleasant about it. And she said, you know, at first I thought to be judgmental, but then I thought without that baby, the Jewish people are Oh, my goodness. The little ones. You come to Shul to be introduced to the world in all of its complexities. We're on page two. Last weekend, a friend and I were talking about the ritual of benching Gomel, which is when someone who survives a scary experience is called to the Torah to acknowledge their survival in front of community. Gomel cannot be done alone. It's not just about the blessing of the person who has survived. It requires the community to reply in response and an affirmation of the blessing that they've said, which allows the survivors to feel seen in community. So ordinarily, a person might only say Gomel a couple times total in their life, after surgery or childbirth, after a life-threatening accident, maybe after a particularly momentous trip. But last weekend, my friend said something that I can't stop thinking about, that every day when her son comes home from school, she wants to bench Gomel for his safe return. Not because the journey to get from his school to their home in Manhattan is so perilous, but because the mundane task of sending a kid to elementary school no co longer comes with a reasonable assurance of his safe return home. I don't have children, but I understand the feeling that she was referring to because it is familiar to me too. I want to bench Gomel every time we leave Shabbat safely. 
And I want to bench Gomel every time I get home from the grocery store and put my groceries away unharmed. And I want to bench Gomel every time I take public transit and nothing happens. And I want to bench Gomel every time that I go to a concert and come home alive and all of the other myriad things that we do to live our lives that we can no longer take for granted that we will be able to do safely. Every day, even today, we are reminded that nowhere is immune from this sudden violence as we read about these emerging reports from Israel of seven people shot and killed at a Kabbalat Shabbat service. In reading over the weekend about yet another series of mass shootings in California, I was crushed to read about the victims and devastated to see another community harmed on what should have been a celebratory weekend. And I was afraid that if I started writing this drosh earlier in the week on Tuesday when I had some time, that it would be for naught, that I would have to go back and revise it today, lest something else happen this week that I had to talk about. This is our reality, that we live our normal lives punctuated by devastation, unable to stop living, but terrified that we will be stopped living in our tracks. As I read the news, which I really should stop doing, Several articles referred to the plague of gun violence in America, and I couldn't help notice the Jewish resonance of this description, because this week we read in the Torah the description of the final three plagues before the Israelites leave the land of Egypt. The plagues this week escalate from locusts to darkness to the death of the firstborn, and we might naturally see an association between the death of the firstborn and the plague of gun violence in America. The plague of indiscriminate death. We know, because we know the story, that this tenth plague will be what finally moves Pharaoh to release the Israelites from Egypt. Our attention is naturally drawn to this final plague because it's the final in a series and because as the plague of death, it seems so much more severe than all of the others. But reading the Parsha this week, I felt my heart catch in my throat long before the plague of death. At the very beginning of the Parsha, as Moshe and Aaron return to the court to tell Pharaoh about the seventh plague that's going to come, locusts, Pharaoh once again refuses to heed them and refuses to compromise. But Pharaoh's advisors say to him, don't you know that Egypt is already lost? When will it be too much for you? When are you going to let up already? We know that Pharaoh won't let up until his own son dies and his entire country is filled with wails of grief. And so as readers, it is so frustrating to watch Pharaoh cyclically relent and then take it back. Consider compromise and then harden back up once things have smoothed over a little bit. The Midrash in Shemot Rabbah teaches us that the, this is the way of the wicked, that when they are in trouble, they affect humility. But as soon as they have respite, they return to their ways. And part of what makes this section of the Torah so hard for me to read this year is that it feels too true to our lives. We see in this Parsha a lesson that we implicitly know to be true that we live in a world plagued by the immovability of our leaders, watching their attention drift past crises after just a few news cycles. 
So this year, as I read the Parsha, I found myself identifying with the Egyptians who lived through these plagues. Pharaoh and his courtiers knew what was coming, but the Egyptians didn't. They just had to live through it. Pharaoh was forewarned, but he wasn't the only one affected. All of the Egyptians were. Their water turned to blood, and their houses were filled with frogs, and their heads itched with lice, and their skin erupted in boils, and their cattle died and was eaten by locusts and was plagued by fiery hail. And perhaps some of them were complicit in the oppression of the Israelites. But surely many of them lived far away from any Israelite and had nothing to do with the slavery of another people in their land. And yet their land and their bodies suffer just as much, if not more, than Pharaoh. The modern biblical scholar Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg quotes the Italian commentator Sforno, who notes that God hardens Pharaoh's heart to give the rest of the Egyptians a chance to repent. That Pharaoh is not able to repent. He's too wicked but that the Egyptians have a chance to see in this a way to be different. The humanitarian point that Sforno makes, Gottlieb Zornberg writes, is that the Egyptians too are being addressed. They remain subjects capable of change. That even if our leaders cannot and will not change, we can, and we should remain open to being changed by the unbearable circumstances that we encounter. Though Pharaoh's heart is hardened first by his own obstinacy and then by God, Sforno seems to be exhorting us, the people, to remain open-hearted, to remain soft-hearted. And at some point, our communal experience of repeated suffering and trauma becomes too much to reasonably bear. When do you think it was too much for the Egyptians? At the stage of discomfort and inconvenience when there were frogs and lice? Or when their livelihoods and their food sources were affected by cattle disease and hail? The Midrash explains that Pharaoh's magicians were broken by the plague of boils. That this was a plague that they were unable to replicate. They had kept up with some of the early ones and that their, their bodies were so deeply affected by these boils that they never fully recovered. They were not able to be in Pharaoh's presence ever again. And that that experience of suffering prompted them to push back on Pharaoh at this eighth plague and say, don't you know that Egypt is lost? Don't you know that you've taken it too far? Their own intimate encounter with suffering changed their point of view. But as Gottlieb Zornberg writes, Pharaoh is so motivated by his own power, his own narrative of being outside of the realm of suffering, that he experiences what she calls a kind of spiritual rigor mortis. He's unable to be moved by the suffering of his people. It's only when it touches him personally that he can consider any change. I see this kind of spiritual rigor mortis setting in among our leaders today, and it infuriates me. But I also see it setting in among our communities, and that terrifies me. I read this Parsha with a sense of dread. Because I know the impending doom 
of the final plague, I know the death of the firstborn will come, and not a single household will be untouched by grief. And I see Pharaoh's advisors calling out, saying, You have already gone too far, Pharaoh. And they're right. The doom arrives before the tenth plague. It comes with the darkness. The Torah describes the plague of darkness as a darkness unlike anything we have ever experienced. That it was so complete that it was tangible. That it wasn't just about light and lack of light, but that it was a complete moratorium on daily life for every single Egyptian. That when the darkness fell, the Midrash says, not only could the people not see, but they couldn't move. Whatever they were doing when the darkness fell, if they were standing, they couldn't sit down. And if they were sitting, they couldn't stand up. And if they weren't holding on to someone, they couldn't reach out. And they couldn't call out. They couldn't adjust anything about their reality to live through it more comfortably. The rigidity of Pharaoh's heart became literal in their bodies in that plague. And as Pharaoh's heart hardened against mercy, the air hardened around his subjects and they remained frozen. I think of the people murdered at a Lunar New Year celebration or at a community dance hall who did not know that the story and the trajectory of their life would be frozen in that moment, that attending that celebration would cut off their life in tragedy And my heart just breaks thinking about that life that thought it was at a peak and instead was frozen in time and place. The plague of darkness is not just about physical darkness. It's a preview of the spiritual state that will be brought on by the final plague. Being unable to see each other, being unable to move towards each other is the penultimate thing that happens before death touches each and every household. And we cannot let that happen to us. We cannot find ourselves frozen away from each other, unable to see each other when we suffer. If you've come to Mishkan before, you have heard Rabbi Lizzie and Rabbi Stephen and myself exhort you and encourage you to take action so many times And while that remains good advice, that's not what I'm asking of you tonight. I want to ask something far more difficult than taking political action. I want to urge you to take spiritual action against the coming darkness that will separate us if we let it. That as difficult as it is to remain connected in a painful and scary world, don't turn away, don't close your eyes Don't go into the darkness that threatens us. Do your best to continue to see and move towards the people around you. If everything were to freeze at any given moment, how would you feel about where you were and who you were with? What would you want to be doing if the plague of darkness fell right now? I want to continue to be in community. I want to continue to live my life. And I want to continue to be able to bless survival together. 
to answer to the miracle of each and every one of your survival. All of the things that you had to overcome to show up here, I want to bless those. And I want to be blessed for standing in the middle of this room among all of you. I want you to share your fears with each other. But I also want you to share your hopes and your dreams. If the darkness never falls, what will our lives look like? And I want us to live in a world where we don't need to feel relieved that our kids come home from school. We don't need to feel relieved when we greet our dog with a bag of groceries. We don't need to feel relieved when we arrive at our destination and nothing has happened to us that prevented us from getting there. I want to live in a world where we can sit through Shabbat without worry, without mourning the people who didn't get to continue sitting through Shabbat. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to turn to the people next to you and ask them if they're okay if you put an arm around them. And then I'm going to ask you to sing with me the words of Psalm 23 that have been a light for the Jewish people for millennia. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Only goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of Adonai for many years. May it be so. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, Thank you for listening.